0: You're listening to. Whoa! Hot luck!
1: Welcome back to another episode of Books and Boba, a book club and podcast between books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yue.
0: And I'm Ri Rayu.
1: On this episode, we'll be discussing our September book club pick, Number One Chinese Restaurant by Lillian Lee. Hey, Books
0: and Boba is two years old now. Oh, wow, it is. Yeah, huh? yeah. <laughs> we started in September 2016. So, yeah. yeah so this it's is, been this two was years. our 24th book. Mm-hmm. Holy crap. Yeah, and we read more for author interviews. Too, we
1: have, yeah. So. Yeah, I feel like it's been a while since we've talked. The last time I saw you was it's when been a we month. recorded the um, "To All the Boys I Loved Before" interview. Yeah, and that was like well, that not was an a, interview;
0: it was a round table.
1: Right, right, right. So it's been a while. How's how's your September been?
0: Um, it's been okay. Like I went to I went to a K-pop concert. I went to a BTS concert. It was the best concert of my life. So. That was great. Uh, I missed a lot of figure skating, so I'm still catching up on that. Oh wow! Yeah, and is that still going on? No, I think I, I think it's slowly wrapping up. It's just like I thought. It's I've missed so many programs. They also changed the rules for the long program, so now it's shorter.
1: So this is the actual like like league of figure skaters, not the Olympics, right? Because the Olympics yeah, don't, is, yeah. don't they don't take over for the no world. no. Okay.
0: So, I'm still cool. catching up on that. Um yeah, and you've been at TIFF?
1: I went to TIFF, watched a bunch of movies, caught the uh caught a screening of The Hate You Give. Um
0: My favorite book from 2017.
1: Which was pretty good. I recommend it. It's coming out uh, later this year, right? Yes. Yeah, so that'd, yeah. that'd be good.
0: I remember when uh like casting news came out for that. That was it, it's been like a long process for it to actually get made into a movie
1: but not too long. Not because, too long. Like, I
0: mean, I I guess yeah, I mean, so, but a
1: year a, a year is a pretty short turnaround for for a movie. Well, I right? feel
0: like I I heard casting rumors like a year and a half ago. Okay. So, well, we have some book deals and a little bit of news to get through before we talk about number 1 Chinese restaurant.
1: Yeah. It's been a month so let's catch up on uh what's coming up in the pipeline. Um First up, in a two-book deal, Abrams bought FCE's YA novel set in the universe of Nickelodeon's Avatar The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra. Michael Dante DiMartino, co-creator and executive producer of both series, consulted on the story. The first novel, The Rise of Kiyoshi, is slated for July 2019 and will unveil the backstory of Avatar Kiyoshi.
0: Did you hear about the live-action TV series?
1: It's a Netflix thing, right? Yeah, it's a
0: Netflix thing. And uh, Michael DiMartino is also consulting on that. Okay. So they really are like bringing back the series in like multiple forms <laughs> and fce is the author of the epic uh crush of genie low yeah yeah so i'm excited i really love avatar the last airbender i was severely disappointed by uh, shamalama ding dong's <laughs> version
1: Shyamalan. <laughs> Shyamalan. Um, I, I
0: just really was disappointed.
1: i've never watched any avatar or movie. The TV series or the movie.
0: Oh my god.
1: Ever. I think I caught the first episode of Legend of Korra.
0: No, you have to watch Avatar The Last Airbender.
1: It. Um, but it was funny seeing, like, people were super excited that they are going to recast uh, for the new TV series. Yeah. And the the first fan cast that I read still had a white boy playing um Aang.
0: No, no. Oh <laughs> my god. I'm going to be so mad if they don't cast uh Zuko right. Mm. It's just like, honor, set things on fire if they don't do it right. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's a series that is beloved to my heart. So, I really hope that uh, they do adapt it well. And also, Avatar Kiyoshi is like, she sounds badass in, in the series. So, I'm really excited to read more about her. So, is
1: this a prequel or a sequel? It's, it's a
0: prequel. Okay. Cool. All right. Next up, Kokola acquired Randy Ribe's Patron Saints of Nothing. The story follows high school senior Jay Riguro, who returns to his birthplace in the Philippines to investigate the untimely death of his cousin at the hands of President Duterte's war on drugs. But instead of finding answers, he is faced with even more questions of identity, faith, and family. Publication is slated for summer 2019.
1: Wow. Is this meant to be a, um, like a YA book?
0: Yes. Considering that it follows a high school senior, I'm I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, congratulations yeah. to Randy.
1: <laughs> um, Disney Press signed Aisha Saye to write "Far from Agraba, an original novel inspired by the forthcoming live action Aladdin film. Publication is set for spring 2019. I totally forgot they were making a live. Yeah, in the me
0: moment. too. Um, actually, Elizabeth Lim um wrote the novel version of Mulan, and that came out back in March. Mm-hmm. So it seems like Disney Press is like for each live action movie. I guess they're like.
1: Doing tie-in novel. doing a
0: tie-in. Maybe it's like their their like Plan B of like, oh, if the movie version pisses off a lot of people, at least we have like own voices authors <laughs> covering the uh, covering these stories. But
1: like, given the stories from coming from the set of Aladdin, where they had to reshoot a large portions of the film because the background characters were white.
0: Uh, <laughs> like, it's. Uh, I actually haven't heard that much about the live-action Aladdin. Maybe it's because. I, like, immediately I thought they were going to fail. So I just, like, didn't pay attention. Same thing with Mulan. Like, I was just like, are they going to do it right? Probably
1: not. What does right even look like? Yeah,
0: exactly. Like, Like, do
1: you go Cinderella where you kind of make it an original thing? Or do you go Beauty and the Beast and do a shot-by-shot?
0: I mean, it sounds like they're doing an original because Shang isn't even a character. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But Shang wasn't really a character anyways. They made him up for the cartoon.
0: I know, but... Okay, well, Kokola acquired Vera Hiranadani's new middle grade novel, The Sound of Summer, which is set in 1967, shortly after the Loving versus Virginia ruling. Sixth grader Ariel Goldberg finds her world rapidly shifting as her older sister elopes with an Indian college student against her parents' wishes and is left to navigate family illness and her dysgraphia diagnosis on her own. Publication is planned for fall 2020. Mm-hmm. I have to actually look up what... uh dysgraphia is and it's like a learning challenge of like being able to write uh-huh. so yeah that I really don't know much about it mm-hmm. so it, it would be really interesting is to it like Is like a
1: form of aphasia or like
0: um I wouldn't call it I, I'm not sure if if it belongs in the disability category mm. but like, like I do know that it is conditioned that is found in children and um, they just have like difficulty either retaining the short-term memory in order to like write the words or they have trouble with like actually spelling the words on paper. Um, No one really explained it well to me on (laughs) online, like how, um, how it works. So it would be interesting to learn more about it.
1: Yeah. Finally, imprint-bought animator and storyboard artist Louis Zong's debut picture book, tentatively titled Book Science. The story follows two scientists, a bear and a frog, who conduct hands-on experiments answering the age-old question, how do books work? Publication is planned for summer 2020. That
0: sounds cute. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we have one piece of news that we are going to cover before we jump into our book club discussion. And it is a discussion that I really don't want to talk about, but we're going to cover it because it's been all over Asian American I mean, Twitter. Everyone's
1: been talking about it. I know we should at least touch on it. So, um, Rira, explain to me what's what's up with uh, what's the Crimes of Grindelwald. Okay, Grin- so Grindelwald. Grindelwald. Know? Grindelwald.
0: I don't. I don't know. It's it's a fake wizard name. <laughs> for all I know. Okay, so uh, the second Fantastic Beasts movie, the release, the final trailer. And uh, the final trailer revealed uh, Claudia Kim's character. Claudia Kim is a South Korean actress. She was in Age of Ultron.
1: Mm-hmm. And, she was a scientist. Yeah, she was the
0: scientist And lady. she was
1: also in Marco Polo.
0: Oh, yeah, that's mm. right. Marco Polo. I totally yeah. forgot. Um, but, yeah, she. it's been announced that she was playing a role in the movie, but no one knew like, what character she was playing. Well, she's
1: Ezra Miller's friend from the first trailer. Like, you kind of see them sitting together. In all the promo.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, no one really knew, like, what her character was until this trailer came out. And it's revealed that she is playing Nagini, who is uh, Voldemort's pet snake or horcrux in, in the books, in the at least. Yeah. yeah. And uh, she is a maledictus, which is a woman with a blood curse that kind of is cursed to be a beast for all eternity. So it's, she's kind of like a ticking bomb. Um one day she will become a snake forever and uh, it's kind of hinted that she'll lose all of her human memories, humanity. But, um, of course, there was a lot of uh, controversy over this because Mm -hmm. casting uh, an East Asian woman to be a pet snake that is enslaved to a white man who is kind of like...
1: He's like wizard fascist.
0: Wizard Nazi... um, it's kind of viewed as stereotypical and like just how like
1: it's not a good look, not a good right. look.
0: Like it 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 kind of like falls back on the whole evil, sexy dragon lady who, and also like the whole submissive trope of Asian women on mm. screen. I feel like I feel like people wouldn't be so upset about this if like if Claudia Kim wasn't the second. Uh, East Asian woman to like be ever. in this movie, in in this franchise. And or also, if she wasn't
1: the snake, if she was just, like...
0: Yeah, like, if she was an original character, like, yeah. no one would care. But the fact that J.K. Rowling is retro, like, fitting everything into into her lore is kind of, uh, I don't know, like, it's... Like, it really rubs me the wrong way because I feel like it's bad writing. It's It's just, like...
1: I mean, so from my perspective, as someone who is not, like, super, like, I never, like, listeners of this podcast would know I haven't read, and I still haven't read any of the books. I've only watched the movies. I don't have, it's not, it's, Harry Potter wasn't something that was, like, integral to my upbringing coming into the world of fantasy writing and mm-hmm. things like that, right? So, um, uh, to me, I, I didn't have, like, the initial visceral reactions. It was more like a, uh, that 's interesting and also kind of like like like, like, um, like we said, not a good look um, to me, it kind of feels like because the thing with like fantastic beasts is like this is this is like the second chance for the wizarding world to be a more like diverse inclusive place right because that's that's part of the reason why like the like people were excited about like seeing more of the wizarding world right mm-hmm. S- and seeing more than just like white British people being wizards. So when we first learned of Claudia Kim being in this movie, like people were excited, like, "Oh, there's, there's an Asian woman uh, playing something," mm-hmm. um, and and then you learn that it's tied into the rest of the story, which brings along a lot of baggage. And yeah, because feels- like she's
0: playing, like she she's playing pretty much like an object that <laughs> gets killed by Neville Longbottom, and then like and then J.K. Rowling is just like. It's like, "Oh, that snake that Neville killed, it used to be a human, like have some empathy." And it's like, "You didn't write that. You didn't build that into the foundation of your books." So yeah. it feels really it feels really forced, it feels shoehorned. And like to me that that disturbs me more than the actual like But, but. Ellen Ellen O, she had a really uh she had a really uh, nice tweet about the whole whole thing. And I'm going to read it uh, to you guys. I feel like this is the problem when white people want to diversify and don't actually ask people of color how to do so. They don't make the connection between making Nagini an Asian woman who later on is the pet of a white man. So I'm going to say it right now. This shit is racist. Yeah. And uh, J.K. Rowling like, responded to um, people on Twitter who are complaining about this. That like nagas are based in Indonesian mythology, which, like, belongs to, like, like, hundreds of different ethnic groups in Indonesia. And, um, of course, that got, you know, a lot of people were just like, no, actually, like, Naga mythology belongs in Indian. Um, It it comes from India. And Nagan is a Sanskrit language. And um, I don't know. It just, the whole thing seems kind of like shaky research to me like I I feel like if you were going to take mythology from a different culture a different country you really have to do your research and you really have to like show depth in your research yeah. and it, and I just feel like it was just kind of tossed into the movie lore I, I just feel like it wasn't uh there wasn't that
1: much thought yeah I mean they expected like a pat in the back for being like for being like, look, look, we drew from all these different mythologies. But you realize that like that's not enough these days, especially when you know your fan base is so like particular. Yeah. You
0: know? Also, like a uh, a common complaint that I've seen is um like, oh, why did Claudia Kim accept the role if it was a problematic if it was a problematic role that like enforced these stereotypes? And I really don't want to blame an actor for taking a job because it is hard enough to make it in the entertainment industry, especially if you are, like, from a marginalized group. And with that said, Claudia Kim is South Korean. Like, she only spent maybe six years of her life in America. So I'm not really sure what her relationship is with, uh, like, the Asian American community and, like, like, what her framework is. When it comes to like thinking about stereotypes in Hollywood movies and whatnot,
1: I mean, it, when it comes down to it, like the track record of the Wizarding World and like race relations has never been no great, right?
0: I mean, that that's the thing. You can like problematic things, just just know that they're problematic. Like, I will always love Lord of the Rings, but there are some <laughs> there are some things in there that is that is not okay, like colorism. Yeah, And same thing with Harry Potter. Like,
1: Well, I have a feeling I might be watching this movie, so I'll I'll keep you up to date on how they do.
0: No, you don't have to keep me up to date. I'm, <laughs> I'm fine.
1: And on that note, um, that'll do it for our book news. Let's move on to uh, the real reason why we're here. To discuss our September book club pick, Number One Chinese Restaurant by Lillian Lee. I guess we'll start with the book jacket. The Beijing Duck House in Rockville, Maryland is not only a go-to solution for hunger pangs and a beloved setting for celebrations, it is its own world, inhabited by waiters and kitchen staff who have been fighting, loving, and aging within its walls for decades. When disaster strikes, this working family's controlled chaos is set loose, forcing each of them to confront the conflicts that fast-paced restaurant life has kept at bay. Owner Jimmy Han hopes to leave his late father's homespun establishment for a fancier one. Jamie's older brother, Johnny, and Johnny's daughter, Annie, ache to return to a time before a father's absence and a teenager's silence pushed them apart. Nan and Jack, longtime Duck House employees, attempted to turn their 30-year friendship into something else, even as Nan's son, Pat, struggles to stay out of trouble. And when Pat and Annie, caught in a mix of youthful lust and boredom, find themselves in a dangerous game that implicates them in the Duck House's tragedy, their families must decide how much they're willing to sacrifice to help their children.
0: So Marvin, you're the one who picked this book for I did. this month. <laughs> what were your expectations?
1: I have been hearing a lot of good things about it. Um, it's been covered like on a couple of the podcasts I listen to, actually. Um, specifically, some of the food-focused um, ones. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, reading through, I thought this was a pretty like good follow-up to Crazy Rich Asians.
0: Yeah, I remember you telling me that. <laughs> why? Why do you think so?
1: Because this is one of those books like about a family that, on the surface, is rich. But it doesn't shy away from, like, all the shady things that they had to do to get there.
0: Mm, Yeah. What did you think? Um, Like, for me, like, from the title, number one Chinese restaurant, I thought it was going to be more about the competition between the two brothers, Johnny and Jimmy. Uh Because I was like, I was just like, okay, like, it's going to be like, Jimmy wants to build his own restaurant, that's like more upscale, more right. pan-Asian. Well, whereas Johnny wants to keep his fam- uh, keep his dad's legacy going. So I thought it was going to be more about those two budding heads. So I was kind of surprised that it kind of like, the story kind of panned out to mm. uh, include all these different characters. And I'm not sure if that expectation made me feel a little bit overwhelmed by <laughs> by just like how much was going on and how many characters were in play. Mm. But I really do like how Lillian captured the chaotic order. like, (laughs) Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's so chaotic in the restaurant, but everything is, like, where it's supposed to be. Yeah. And, like, it just, like, runs
1: seamlessly. I mean, part of what drew me to the story was it was a description of a world that only immigrant families can like kind of fathom, you know. Like it's. Have you ever seen? There's this documentary called um, "The Search for General So." Um,
0: oh yeah, yeah that that documentary is great. By the way,
1: <laughs> which is all about like the search for like this dish general tso's chicken and how authentic it is and like essentially is a history of chinese food restaurants around the country and the reason why you in every small town in america you can find a chinese restaurant run by chinese families and chinese workers
0: yeah right. and also like that do- i mean we're talking about the documentary <laughs> but like that documentary i what i really liked about it was it showed different types of chinese restaurants you've yes. seen like fancier ones that are like that specializes in northern Chinese cuisine that is, like, way more authentic. Uh And then you have, like, takeout joints, and then you have, uh, like, more, like, middle tier that's, like, not really northern (sighs) Northern cuisine, but they just label it Chinese food. I
1: don't even think it's... I think a lot of it is you realize that the the high-class places and the less high-class places all serve the same kind of Americanized Chinese food. They're just, like... It's a perception thing, right? Yeah. Um and it's also a method for them to survive.
0: I mean, the title itself is kind of telling because like say if this was a book about, I don't know, like a French restaurant. You like number one French restaurant. <laughs> yeah. What does that even mean, right? But then like number one Chinese restaurant, you like immediately yeah. can like picture what the book is gonna be like, what restaurant like, what the restaurant's going to be like, despite what the price range is.
1: And it's like, you hear that, and you know, like, this probably isn't the best Chinese restaurant in the world, but to the owner who thinks he's a genius of marketing, it's like, it's positioned themselves as the number one Chinese restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the book turned out to be more of, like, a, a family drama, really. And... I mean, I don't want to keep comparing to, like, Crazy Rich Asians, but, like, the mom plays a way better, like, scheming, like, maternal figure than Eleanor from Kevin mm-hmm. Kwan's book did.
0: Yeah, with with the mother, I was, uh, what was her name? Fei Feng? Uh, Fan, Fei. Fan Fei. Fan Fei. Fan Fei, yeah. Yeah, so, like, with Fan Fei, the um, mother, I was kind of surprised at how late that came in the book.
1: mm well, she was always like, I think it was really smartly done where the entire book, you, you, they portray her as, at least from the perspective of the sons, as like a weak woman who needs to be taken care of. She should be sent, like she's too weak to be living in that big house. We should send her to an old folks home, which is like the, the nightmare of any Asian parent mm-hmm. living in America. And then you realize that no, she's like, she's the brains of this family.
0: Yeah, but I feel or like, like the self
1: the self-proclaimed brain of the family.
0: Yeah, I I don't know. I was I was just like pretty surprised by that and not in a good way. Like really? I feel like there there should have been a little bit more foreshadowing to that. I just felt like all of a sudden she's like, "Okay, I'm going to take control now." Like I felt like it should have been more gradual in in a sense or she came into the game much much earlier. I don't
1: even think it was like that. I don't think she had to change her character. I think she was always controlling things from the background. You didn't realize until you came from her perspective. But even her controlling things was in a very like passive aggressive and kind of scheming way, right? She didn't want. Uh, she doesn't. She didn't. She doesn't want anyone to know that she knows things and was in charge of things. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, so like, even though the chapter from her perspective, I felt like was very strong. The way that she went about the actual actions she took was still very slight and behind the scenes. Right.
0: Yeah. I wish I got more context of who the father was. Cause you know, the father is deceased and mm-hmm. he left this legacy and there's like, and of course like Jimmy and Johnny have different relationships with their father and what the restaurant means mm-hmm. but I kind of wish I knew more about their father cuz I feel like I didn't really understand who he was as a person aside from the fact that like he had very little ambition or a lot of like know-how and his wife was the one who like made the restaurant happen
1: I think it comes down to I think that was intentional, right? It's it's this book is a lot about like the economic trauma suffered by like middle-class immigrant families, right? Where like the the children inherit this like expectations of like a culture where they don't communicate well. They never did with their father, they obviously don't with their mother and with each other, mm-hmm. right? And to, um his legacy is different to every member of the family. Yeah. Right? You piece together parts of the story, right? You piece together that the father, Johnny, came to America and intended to run away before the mother tracked him down and, like, forced him to, like, bring them over. But you realize during her chapter that it was actually her that paid who got Uncle Pang to, like, bring them over Mm -hmm. to find them.
0: I guess, like, there's a lot of generational stories going on because you have Jimmy and Johnny – relationship with their father and mother and then you have uh annie who is johnny's daughter mm-hmm. um and how she feels about the restaurant and also you have like another layer with like non and pat yeah. who you know like pat and annie are both children of restaurant like restaurant uh owners not owners but um they both have parents who work in the restaurant industry, mm-hmm. and it's a really hard job. Yeah. And um, it's a really hard job with, with not a lot of time to spend with your family. And the thing is, like, they're for, with Nan and with uh, Johnny, they are spending all this time working thinking that it's best for their children, right? It's like, I'm working this much so that it'll pay off in the end, so that they'll go to good colleges or they don't have to toil like me. Mm-hmm. But, like, at the same time, like, that that kind of sacrifice is kind of seen as unwanted or seen as kind of, like, spiteful from, yeah. from Annie and Pat's point of view because it's like, oh, I would have preferred if you spent more time with me as a kid rather than, like, focusing so much on work. Mm-hmm. And... Also, like, when they, when Annie and Pat go, when they work at the restaurant, they're seeing their parents in a totally different light. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, like, the parents that they know from home are completely different from, like, from, like, them working at the restaurant. So it's kind of like, I forgot who said it. Was it Annie or Pat? But they, but they said, like, oh, our parents are, like, cartoon characters (laughs) at this restaurant. So... I, I, like, I think Lillian Lillian really captured that, that like resentment, and also like this, like paired the resentment of of the children, and also like the love and sacrifice of the parents. I, I think she like melded those two really well together, mm-hmm. which is why I was like really drawn into uh, Nan and Pat's storyline,
1: mm-hmm.
0: because there was like a lot of like push and pull to it
1: yeah i mean i felt that way between johnny and anya as well where like they're both things could be solved just by like just being open and honest with everyone but th- you're talking about teenagers and parents and what teen- you're talking
0: about teenagers and parents from um with language barriers yeah. as well i feel like there is a language barrier just in the way that like nan speaks mm. to pat and also just like With Annie, she kind of mocks her father's accent, even though he can speak English proficiently, fluently. um, He still has an accent and he still slows down to make sure his words are being understood. Mm -hmm. And she does, like, kind of mock him for it. So there is a little bit of, of just like, okay, well, I'm American and, you know, you're not American enough. Your English is not enough. So there is, like, a sense of... There there is a gap there between yeah. like the kid and their parent.
1: What I liked about the portrayal is that from... Cause it you know, you get to see in the thoughts of everyone involved. And like like a petulant teenager, both Annie and Pat know exactly what they're doing, like when they're talking to their parents, know exactly like when they push things too far or like are, you know, are being unreasonable. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, like what teenagers hate the most is parents who are hypocrites right yeah what they see as hypocrites and they, they see the whole restaurant as like it's interesting because you can tell that both annie and pat the kids they're like teenagers um love their parents but it's like kind of it's hard for them to, them to express it and the parents take it different ways too mm-hmm. it's is similar to like jimmy and johnny and and their their mom too yeah right?
0: It seems like no one in the story has like a good romantic relationship yeah i wonder if that i'm pretty sure that's like intentional but but i was just like you have you you have nan who has like a a bi-coastal relationship with her husband she's Mm -hmm. not divorced yet but you know they're separated and uh i'm not sure about jimmy jimmy jimmy's wife jimmy has an ex-wife has an ex-wife yeah Actually, Johnny is still married to his wife, so I guess, I guess that's okay. But it, it just it just seemed like everyone was in a very unhappy marriage when I was like reading the book. And... I mean,
1: part of like one of the themes of this story is kind of the eternal elusiveness of the American dream and how it in and itself is an illusion, right? Like it doesn't happen for people, for anyone in the story without strings attached. Mm. Right, Jimmy doesn't get his new restaurant without having to go into business with Uncle Pang, and like later on, you realize that the Uncle Pang is closest to the mom. Yeah, right.
0: How did you feel about Uncle Pang?
1: He is Uncle Pang is a character that personifies like if you ever gone to a Chinese wedding where the bride and groom's actual friends and family take up like. 10% of the entire banquet hall mm-hmm. the rest of those seats are all Uncle Pangs, like people that the parents had to do business with in order to like make it in America <laughs> right mm. and it's a lot of like they're always gonna be around they're essentially like they're family but your tie is money um, right
0: see like with Uncle Pang, I like I don't know like in, in a sense I wish that he wasn't a character in this book because mm. i felt like i got distracted by the whole insurance fraud thing cuz i was like okay this is reading a little bit too much like godfather to me of just like oh like like you give me a little bit in, like from your pile and i'll take care of the rest like i just felt like it distracted me from the family drama that was happening mm. and it was just like it was just too much Plot into character development. I don't know. Like I just,
1: I feel like you don't get this family drama and you don't get the story without a character like Uncle Pang.
0: But I feel like it would have happened regardless without Uncle Pang. Like I felt like the story would have been more focused. I, like I don't know. I just felt like the whole burning down the restaurant in order to like get the insurance money. I don't
1: think that was ever the plan.
0: That w- it wasn't the plan. But I felt like that part of the book.
1: Well, it, that's the signing seems... drama, right? That that's what brings Johnny back from abroad and it reenters the story, right?
0: Yeah, but then Johnny comes back from abroad like really late in the book, too. Yeah,
1: that's
0: a, that's another thing. I feel like John, <laughs> like for me, like I I think it's because I went into this book thinking that it was going to be a completely different story from what mm. I thought it would be, and like and like the entire time I was just like, wait, like this isn't.
1: See, I didn't have any expectations. I, I I liked how it started off with one perspective and started branching out as it went along.
0: See, I I was a little bit annoyed by that too because I was mm. like, I was like, why are there so many uh, perspectives? Like, why is it jumping back and forth between characters within the same chapter? Um, yeah, it was like it was kind of like an issue that I had with Crazy Rich Asians, where like you have character head jumping and it's like okay but
1: there's dividers and then it cl- you clearly see whose perspective it but
0: is, it's still right? in the same chapter though
1: yeah i didn't have a problem with that uh, <laughs> well all.
0: like yeah i mean that uh, everybody everybody has like different opinions and and like come away from reading a book like with different yeah. experiences i like with me i just i just felt like i felt I I don't know. It was like I felt overwhelmed and underwhelmed at the same time. I felt overwhelmed by how much plot was going into it, Mm -hmm. how much uh, insurance fraud, how much...
1: uh, I mean, I even think like insurance fraud comes into it when Jimmy decides to use the money to fund his new restaurant. But that was before he realized that it was Uncle Penn that set the fire. Yeah. Right. Insurance fraud. I think the insurance fraud angle not comes from the police when they realize it was an arson. But I don't think anyone ever like...
0: I guess I guess what I mean it's by like, like the yeah. insurance fraud plot line is like pl- like getting Uncle Peng to bribe Pat and then Pat getting Annie and them unwittingly set the restaurant on fire, which seemed like an accident on Pat's part. It feels like he didn't want to actually burn the, the place down. He just wanted to take the money and just like yeah. have well, fun I mean, with Uncle, it.
1: The way the way that I read into it was Uncle Peng has set up the, the fraud. Like mm-hmm. He was going to do the. He was going to burn down the duck house to pay for the Beijing glory. Um, when Jimmy, because in the first chapter, Jimmy decides to pull out from the deal mm-hmm. to cut him out because of because of what his real estate agent, who like he's also attracted to, told him about it. And so, as revenge, Uncle Payne said, "Well, if you're going to do this, I'm just going to burn it down now because I know it's set to blow, right? Because yeah. there's accelerants in the trash can." So he pays Pat because he knows that Pat. Got in trouble for burning down, like for fire, setting a fire to yeah, get expelled, yeah. right? So he didn't bribe him. He was just like, you do a job for me, like burn these documents in the trash can, right? Was
0: it documents?
1: Yeah, he told him to burn something in the trash can for him.
0: Oh, okay. Um, well, yeah, like I just, like you, even you just like telling me what happened is like, that's, that is a lot. Well,
1: because Uncle Pang wanted revenge. Like, he wanted to, like, the duck house burning down unexpectedly would throw a wrench into everything. Well,
0: yeah. Like, right. I I understand, like, the inciting incident. I understand how it sets um, things in motion. I just feel like it was. Mm, it, it was just, like, a lot. And I felt like that kind of plotting didn't. I, I don't know. It just, like.
1: Mm, I mean, so to me. I feel like a story like this, especially talking about like a Chinese immigrant business, like there has to be a character. Like Uncle Pang, if it wasn't Uncle Pang, it would, it would have been like a group of Uncle Pangs or like a like a credit union or some sort of like because immigrant families, they, a lot of them use under the table funds and like, you know, lines of credit to build up businesses because they can't get loans. They couldn't get loans from the banks because they had no credit. Mm-hmm. Right. So an Uncle Pang character I can see what you mean by, like, he didn't really have to exist. But this type of story to tell the story of a Chinese restaurant, especially Chinese business, not having a character like Uncle Peng would have been non-authentic, you know?
0: Okay, yeah. Like, yeah, now, now that you say that, yeah, I, I can, like, see why, yeah. <laughs> why, like, an Uncle Peng character would be needed for, like, a Chinese restaurant Uh And the fact that story. even at the
1: end they couldn't get rid of him. No. Because he was too... A, he was tied up with the mom, and B, in the end, they still needed his help for, like, all the mistakes that they ran into, like, getting Pat out of jail and things like that.
0: I guess for me, I, like, I really thought that this book was going to be more, like... I mean, not not to say that it wasn't family-focused, because it definitely was, but, like, I was surprised by, like, Jimmy and Janine <laughs> and, like, uh, Nan and... um uh, what is it? Ah, jocks. or uh, Ajax. Ajax. Yeah, like, yeah. like I was just like, there's so many like l- weird love triangles happening, and <laughs> uh, like, like for me, I was just like, oh, I really wanted kind of like a slice of life look into running a Chinese restaurant, and then having these two brothers, um, kind of compete in what they believe is is like good. Uh, w- what is Believed to be a good Chinese restaurant, and hmm. like I feel like you don't really see the competition between Johnny and Jimmy. I feel like Johnny is constantly telling Jimmy, like, like no, this is like no. Think of our father. I just felt like he didn't take enough action. Whereas, like with Jimmy, I found him to be a more engaging character.
1: It's <laughs> as an older brother, I sympathize with Johnny more. Actually. Oh,
0: I'm an older sibling too. Like, so
1: the fact that. They were they were competing in terms of like what they felt like was the future. Even Johnny, in terms of like wanting to put, like keep the Duck House, was thinking along the same lines as Jimmy. Was I can do the Duck House, but I can do it better, right? Because mm-hmm. so there's a chapter talking about Johnny's like kind of journey from like working as his an engineer and to coming back and taking over the Duck House, like his dad brought him as a manager, and realizing all the lies it was built on. Like, all the pictures on wall of celebrities from the 70s, those are all bribed. Like, they were bribed to come for a free meal and took a picture. So he decided, okay, I'm gonna, we're gonna start, like, we're gonna start a charity, we're gonna start being a more active part of the community to, like, create real soft power from, for the restaurant. And that was his vision, right? To, like, take his dad's, like, fantasy and turn it into reality. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Jimmy, he saw, he saw all that as, like, um, his brother try- just trying to, like, soak up the glamour. Fame, what he wanted was like he wanted to be a fine dining restaurant. He like he stodged at like a really like well, a Michelin starred restaurant, and like he was he was into it for like the prestige of having a good restaurant, yeah, right. Um, and they were both after different different aspects of it, um, but in the end, like Jimmy reminded me of um, who was the younger brother Pachinko, the one that um,
0: most
1: yeah. He reminded him of Moses as a, the kid who, like, he couldn't really... He could never compete with his older brother. And, in essence, still worshipped his older brother. Uh, but he wanted to, like, he figured he'll just do his own thing. And that involved more, like, a more less legit path, right? He dabbled in. Yeah. doing drugs. He was more, like, he was more at home with the back-of-the-house group. Like, the chefs and the cooks. And he wanted to be like them.
0: Yeah. I mean, it would have been nice if, I mean, like, I understand that, like, Johnny would not have come back unless, like, the Duck House burned down, because that is the reason why he comes back. Mm -hmm. But it would have been nice if, like, Jimmy had already, like, started his restaurant, and, like, Johnny is forced back to, like, kind of handle the Duck House as it was, and him learning how, like, his vision for, like, a better version of the Duck House isn't, like it won't work without jimmy it won't work without like having um having jimmy's know-how whereas like with jimmy when he's like working with his restaurant he understands that they're like just having good food isn't enough like there is like there like you need to have politics involved in order to like have a good restaurant and um him just like hiring chefs without like really testing their skills or testing uh, how well they interact with the crew. Like, like I, I, like he even
1: has the imposter syndrome where he's like, he's there now and he realizes he's amongst like these other sit down restaurants and he doesn't know if like his dishes will match up. Yeah. Right.
0: I guess, I guess I just like really wanted these two brothers to have like two restaurants that are like kind of like incomplete with the, without each other. And, like I don't know, I just felt like Jimmy and Johnny. Like that's didn't, a different story. It is though. a different story. That's why I was like, like I had trouble reading this, and and like I don't know. I just felt like Jimmy and Johnny. I I didn't really see that camaraderie until like the very end, when they're um when like Johnny is picking up Jimmy from jail and being like, hey,
1: like even then, I feel like I mean, it's it's definitely like a brother brother relationship where like. Like, you don't like each other, but you still love each other, right? And mm-hmm. I think the the mom's chapter says it best, where, like, Jimmy gets things done, but he'll never, like, he'll never stand up to his brother because he still worships him. Yeah. Right. And even when it comes to when they both realize that Pat was the one that set the fire, Jimmy wants Johnny to do it. Because in the end, Johnny would be able to, and he wouldn't.
0: Um, With Annie and Johnny, though, like... So like Annie thinks that she's gonna be arrested by the cops because mm-hmm. she thinks that Pat has ratted on her, mm-hmm. and then she is staying with uh, staying with Nan, and Nan tells Johnny, like you know your daughter was involved, and, jo- and like at that point Johnny's just like, well I guess I'll do the right thing and like turn her in, and yeah. Nan is just like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like she like she's your daughter. Like you're going to like turn her into the cops because it's the right thing to do? Like what kind of father are you? And it kind of just ends on that note i don't I don't think there is like a scene with Annie and Johnny after that, right
1: yeah, there isn't, but I think it's more like what that scene was meant to convey was like like a lot of the struggle in in this in this um in this book was what exactly does it mean to be? American too right it's kind of if you look at like the duck house as like organized crime whatever like both Johnny and Jimmy wanted to like get out like go straight but like the politics of like just like the familial and like flail piety and whatever like in the end they have to rely on Uncle Pang the personification of like the underworld right to keep their family together yeah right and you see both of them, especially Johnny, struggled with like Johnny was always like he was the golden child. Right. And to him, like maybe part of him wanted to like be completely legit. Like we have to play by the rules. Right. We have to play by the rules of this country. And that's what I want this American dream to be. Right, Jimmy was more like he wants to follow his dream, but at what cost, right? Yeah, like he'll
0: he'll do whatever it takes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Johnny was almost willing to give up his daughter's future and freedom to pursue to like appear on the up and up. Right. Yeah. To appear untouchable. Or to maintain that untouchableness, right?
0: Yeah. I mean I think it's I think it's, like, kind of ironic how Jimmy, when he opens his new restaurant, Glory, and he's like, oh, I'm going to serve fine dining food. But then the food doesn't turn out to be good. And, and for his soft opening, all people are asking for are, like, the Duck House's signature dishes. And he's just like, they're asking for the bad Chinese food when yeah. this is, like, supposed to be fine dining. And none of his chefs know how to, like even fry rice properly so he's like showing them how to like how to cook and everything and that's actually one of my favorite scenes in this book where he's like it's like okay well obviously like i like this is what people want so i have to like cater to them and like i feel like with jimmy he's kind of had this chip on his shoulder being like oh like being chinese like being chinese american means like having bad chinese food like
1: I mean, isn't that the chip on the shoulder of every, like, every time you see, like, a P.F. Chang's type of, like, fine Chinese, like, Asian fusion or, like, some sort of, like, whenever you see some, like, non-Asian person selling Asian food, but, like, at a $10 markup. Yeah. Right? It's, like, the fact that, like, we can't sell our own food and charge what it should be worth we can't even sell our own food. We have to sell someone else's version of our food in order to succeed. Yeah. Right.
0: So, like I, like, I found that really interesting where he's just like, oh, like, Chinese food sucks, but, like, we... Wait, what was the line that he says? He says that, it's like, yeah, we're rich, or we have money, but we still work at a shitty Chinese restaurant. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's, like, a really uh, poignant point. And I don't know if Jimmy actually has... Um, like, if he kind of hates his own culture for a little bit and and it's just like well like this like at at the end of the book he's just like well like i like i have to serve this food because this is part of like how to make it in in america it's also
1: that he has no like he doesn't have like a lot of Jimmy's story was kind of seeing how he came to this point where he really has no other options like he was he had his dream job, but he was thrown out because he was too eager to please, right?
0: Well, he was also dealing cocaine.
1: Yeah, because he was too eager to please. Like, people were—like, the sous chef was using him for his drugs and his hookups.
0: Yeah, but he was selling yeah. drugs because of Uncle Peng.
1: Well, he was already selling drugs, but he, he got thrown out because he was selling drugs to the staff.
0: Yeah, but, like, he was still selling drugs on behalf of Uncle Peng, wasn't he?
1: I don't think Uncle Peng gave him drugs to sell specifically to the, to the restaurant. He was just—he was already dealing. yeah. And as long as he wasn't dealing to the restaurant, I don't think he would have gotten thrown no, out, right? No, no. Um, I
0: just found it really, like, I found it really jarring. I was just like, wait, he's a cocaine dealer? Like, I thought he was, like, like I, I thought he was training to be a chef, but... Yeah. I don't know, like... Yeah, that was, like, another, like, additional, like, plot point where I was just like, wait... Like-. Well,
1: I think Uncle Peng was known to be a, a coke dealer, or a dealer. Like, he he was known to, like, dabble in other illegal stuff that was part of the reason why pat was initially hesitant to accept the package mm-hmm. right because he thought he was like he wanted the deal which he didn't want to do but he just wanted him to burn something yeah right
0: uh we haven't really talked about uh ajak
1: yeah yeah i mean Ajax just um i think it was cool to have also the sto- the separate storyline of the workers right because you see how the other side also has this like what like you have these the owners who ostensibly are rich are rich Mm -hmm. but then you have like the the poor the poor immigrants who have to work like as servers as waiters yeah
0: who only gets like one free day out of the week and uh the moments the only moments of like happiness that you really see are like when they have their smoke break when they're having like their family meals and yeah, there is like a, a contrast to that, and also not just with the waiters, but also with like the busboys. They they call the Hondurans uh, amigos, and there's like yeah. there there's a hierarchy there too. And um, that's
1: the that's the I've I've heard that term a lot growing up. Oh, really? Yeah, like Chinese people just call any Hispanic amigos.
0: Oh my god, <laughs> that's terrible. Yeah. Um but. Yeah, like I found Ajax to be kind of like a coddled baby in a way because He's a man child. Yeah, he's a man child because like he's taking advantage of like Nan's kindness pretty much. Mm-hmm. And mm, and he he seemed like really impulsive as well, which, you know, makes sense because he's a gambler and yeah. uh You know, he has diabetes, and he still eats things that are not healthy for him. But I did like his role in uh, Nan and Pat's relationship. Because with Pat, he loves his mother, but at the same time, like, he didn't really see much of her. Mm -hmm. And Nan has spent more time with the restaurant staff. So when Pat actually goes to work at the restaurant, he sees, like... Yeah. It's like, oh, like, is able to have this special relationship with Ajak, but... Like with me, like it's not like like to him it's just like, oh, it's not as close, it's not as intimate because she has spent more time mm-hmm. with Ajax. So like I did like Ajax's role uh in the mother-son uh relationship. Kind of weird with the whole Michelle and uh Gary plot line. I yeah, like I said before, I wish it focused more on the family because the the love triangle stuff kind of distracted me,
1: but... I don't even think it was a love triangle.
0: I mean, it sort of was.
1: It's... So, to me, it it worked as character building for Ajak as someone who is super self-centered, who, like, in the end, like, like overall, really, he cared about the people around him, Mm -hmm. but he cared more about his own, like, kind of survival and his own um, well-being yeah right um he was able to have this relationship with nan because but not get too serious because he had michelle at home right he had a wife to take care of Mm -hmm. um and realizing that she was cheating on him like there was that whole segment where he was so like indignant about it he was like literally throwing a tantrum right yeah and like it also goes to like Nan's character of someone who like had like almost no backbone, right? Like she didn't really want anything to change, wasn't really willing to like.
0: She was self sacrificing to yeah. like like so much because she does get a job at some like a job offer at some point. It was like working at an office, and mm-hmm. she had guaranteed weekends, even though she was getting she was going to get paid less, and it was more of like a career um, that she can work her way up but she decides to not take it because of Ajak.
1: Yeah. Like, I feel like he was kind of a, almost He's like a, a parasite. Yeah, yeah character. And you can tell that like, like Pat, like, initially, like, sees him, like, we growing up, he was always like family friend but seeing like, the way that he treated it and used his mother, like, it just made him more and more angry about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, um, I don't know, I, I thought it was like, the relationships are complicated. But you see that, like, Nan's character in itself is a very... Um, her character, like, her self-worth is built around her being a caretaker. Mm-hmm. Right. And because she can't take care of her son anymore, she kind of needs to take care of Ajak, too. Right? Yeah. Um,
0: I feel like there was so much going on with Nan, Pat, and Ajak... I feel like that could have even been a separate book because of so much
1: content. And I mean it, it all revolves around the duck house.
0: I know it does. There, right? It does.
1: Um and I mean the stories are all interwoven because of the fire. Yeah. Right and how it involves both like, the kids from both families.
0: I thought like Annie and Pat's relationship was like kind of like a flash in the pan. It was like okay, like, we 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 were just introduced to these characters and they're having sex in, in well,
1: like, Well, but they're the only range. two teenagers in the entire restaurant.
0: Yeah, but then, like, their relationship got, like, never really resolved in the end.
1: Well, it got complicated. I mean, it, it got complicated,
0: yeah, yeah but I just, I just felt like I needed that, like, little bit of resolution for me to have felt a little bit. Like, better.
1: you want to mark a tharsis from all the different plot lines?
0: Like, I felt like there wasn't, enough of like a togetherness with the family at the end of the book
1: because there wasn't
0: there wasn't but like i wish there was
1: i mean they decided not to tell the mother that she almost got her granddaughter arrested yeah right i think it was because johnny was tired of her like playing her games too yeah right
0: well like you don't really see like you don't really see annie working with her family in the end you don't really see Johnny and Jimmy working together as a team. It's almost as if, like, everybody is just doing their own thing. And I just felt like I wanted to see the family come together more at the end.
1: I was okay with it. I was, because to me, it was everyone, like, the whole, like, the whole book, like, was pretty much, like, everyone has their own idea of what success is in America. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it makes sense that, like, because if if Johnny went to go work with Jimmy or Jimmy returned to work with Johnny, it would have been both of them having to give up a portion of what they thought success would mean, right?
0: We're working together in order to make it work.
1: Um,
0: but I said this in Crazy Rich Asians, and it was, I don't mind flawed character as long as it's not written Flawed, and I think Lillian uh, did a really good job writing her characters because I didn't like almost all of her characters. <laughs> I thought they like they were incredibly flawed, but well, I understood. Yeah. I understood where each one came from. I understood their relationship with each other. I understand. I understood their grief and their insecurities and why they did the things that they did. Even though I was just like, "Why did you do that?" <laughs> like I wish it happened like this and blah 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 like i have my own opinions on on like how i wish the story played out or what kind of book this like this should have been but i respected her characters i really Mm. respected her prose i really really enjoyed how she described scenes and how she described uh there were a lot of like flashbacks to like jimmy um thinking about like like what we said before when he was working at that Michelle and star restaurant Mm -hmm. and Johnny, when he gave up his job at like a research lab, like there were a lot of flashbacks and I did really like that because you got to know more of the characters. So yeah, like (laughs) flawed characters, but written exceptionally well. So well done. Yeah. Well, this is one of the few books that we've just, you know, disagreed on, on, (laughs) almost every single level that's that's quite impressive
1: well i mean it's as like a chinese person a lot of it did kind of speak out to me on additional level i guess Mm -hmm.
0: you know how like in movies like the movie title they say the movie title at some point in the movie Mm -hmm. like with crazy rich asians in the book it's like your family are crazy rich asians i feel like there wasn't that in the book like Number one Chinese restaurant. I felt like they it should
1: have. I think it was implied. I think
0: I don't know. I I feel like it, sh- it should have been there. Like I feel like there should have been a line.
1: I mean, it was. I I th- I think it was implied when Johnny was describing how his father ran the restaurant as like the number one Chinese restaurant when it really wasn't. I mean, I mm-hmm. think that's the theme. Like, kind of like it's an aspirational thing more than a like a physical thing.
0: Oh yeah, I know right? it's not a physical thing. I just felt like. Like, both
1: Johnny and Jimmy were, were both trying to make the number one Chinese restaurant. Are still trying to make the number one Chinese restaurant. Someone should have said right. it. Uh, I, mean.
0: I, I feel like I've been criticizing this book and this entire episode. And yeah, I, like, I probably did. But I want to say I did enjoy the book. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I had, like, like, I had a good time reading it. Mm. Maybe I am not the target reader for this book. And that is totally okay. am mm. I glad that I read it? Yes <laughs> so that's a that's a thumbs up from me so, like,
1: <laughs> It's definitely like you don't expect like that much drama coming from a book called number One Chinese Restaurant
0: Actually, I expected a a lot of drama, <laughs> considering that it's you know it takes yeah. place in a restaurant restaurant family but it was
1: yeah it wasn't like a workplace drama as much
0: yeah, maybe that's why like. It would have been nice if it was a workplace drama, but like you said earlier, it's a completely different book. <laughs> Shouldn't shove my own ideas at somebody else. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I guess that'll do it for our discussion of Number 1 Chinese Restaurant by Lillian Lee. I think we both recommend it, right? Yeah. Um, and if you have any thoughts to add to our discussion, um, please let us know on our Goodreads forums. Um, you can join our Books and Boba group by going to Goodreads.com and searching Books and Boba. Um, we have a lot of different things that we're discussing. Um, we'd love to hear your thoughts about the book as well. Um, Rebo, why don't you tell us what we're reading for next month?
0: Yeah, so our October book club pick is Jose Antonio Vargas's Dear America.
1: And we'll be reading that in uh, partnership with the This Filipino American Life podcast. Um, so we'll have to figure out how we're going to do a joint episode together.
0: I know. We have to figure that out.
1: <laughs> but yeah, um, it's, uh, it's a great book. Uh, Jose Antonio Vargas is actually a guest on uh, one of our fellow podcasts. Um, they call us Bruce. So uh, if you want to hear uh, some of his words, um, if you want to hear some of what he has to say, um, go check them out as well.
0: I was really surprised they, that they did interview him because we we knew that we were going to read this book uh, before they did, yeah. and like I like Phil on his Instagram like post like a picture of <laughs> of Dear America the book, and I was like, oh, we're reading that for Books and Boba, <laughs> and then and then like it's like oh, they interviewed him, and I was like, okay, That's just cool. like a weird coincidence.
1: Yeah, now you can listen to what we have to think about it. Yeah. Um, as always, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, this episode, Books and Boba, was recorded at the Potluck Podcast Studios, located within the Office of Visual Communications. Visual Communications is a nonprofit media organization supporting Asian American filmmakers through their programs, such as the Art with the Camera Fellowship and the Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival. Uh, this podcast is also a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective, uh, as we mentioned, um... Uh, a collective of Asian American hosts of podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from all around our community um, learn more about our book shows including They Call Us Bruce by going to our website at podcastpotluck.com and on that note Rira thanks for discussing the no one Chinese Restaurant with me.
0: Discussing or debating or and fighting?
1: Still discussing I don't think we're fighting. No <laughs> um, We'll see you next time on Books and Bola. Bye.
0: Bye